Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. Today I am talking to Victor Keo. He's the partner uh, technology, media, telecommunications senior analyst at RSM, one of the largest accounting firms in the U.S. He came on the show a few months back and we discussed esports numbers and metrics, how to cut through bad data when analyzing this industry, and really what quantifies as esports and what does not. Victor recently published an editorial looking at the initial public offering of Roblox, an IPO that was delayed a few times in 2020, and what turned out to likely be a pretty smart decision in Victor's eyes as the value of the company has continued to climb. Victor, welcome back to the show. Happy to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mitch. Great to be back here. So we're going to be talking about the climbing rates of companies around gaming, especially Roblox, and then also other companies like Discord. Uh, but first, we need to discuss the elephant in the room. Uh, everyone in my timeline, and I can only imagine yours in the circles you're in, is talking about the GameStop stock, which is in the midst of an absurd short squeeze orchestrated largely by Reddit community Wall Street Bets. And we're recording this at about 1.30, 2 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday. And right now, Robinhood has, uh, where much of the trading of this stock took place, has frozen the ability to buy GameStop and AMC stock, another stock that was being thrown into this conversation as well. Uh, but people can still sell the stock. So they've only frozen the ability to buy it, uh, which has sent the stock sort of cratering uh, from its kind of absurd highs. GameStop stock peaked at a high of about $470 at 10 a.m. Eastern time this morning and has dropped all the way to $210 as I write this. And now politicians ranging from Ted Cruz to AOC are talking about this on Twitter, a class action lawsuit has been filed against Robinhood, and I personally have no idea where we're going to go uh, from here. Victor, I'm hoping you'll be able to explain what's happening right now in layman's terms better than I can, because I think a lot of people are pretty confused as to all these going downs. Can you provide kind of a rundown of what happened here, how we reached this point, uh, and then I'll, I'll save where we go from here for a later question. So how did we reach this point right now, knowing that, hey, this might be outdated when I publish this show uh, tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about all this sequence of events that have happened in the last couple of days. I mean, it's it's a really you know fluid story that's happening and, and quite quite an astonishing story. And I wish it were about gaming itself but this is clearly something that's even bigger and broader than just gaming um and just to kind of go back to the basics you know really what's causing the increased momentum in overall game stops uh, price has a lot to do with the short sale uh, positions that these hedge funds were taking on not only just GameStop, but you think about all your typical you know brick and mortars or companies that are gonna be struggling during the COVID environment. So you look at AMC theaters, you look at Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, a lot of other companies that uh, hedge fund firms are targeting to bet against the company, which is what a short play is. You're basically borrowing shares in anticipation of purchasing back at a lower price so that you make the gains between the shares that you borrow versus the price that you bought it at a lower price. So you're basically betting against the company. Right. And so that's kind of the big story here at GameStop. When you think about GameStop itself, it seemed and appeared very attractive to these hedge fund companies to bet against them, because as as we all know, a lot of the gaming environment is now becoming more digitized. Um, and at some point, we may reach a point where we're not even going into stores anymore, purchasing games. It's all going to be online. So that's what a lot of these hedge fund firms were betting on. And there was a large short play position here. 
And so what ended up happening, which was very interesting, is this Reddit um, forum that you mentioned, Wall Street Bets, you know, there's clearly a lot of activists there that were sort of against the short play uh, that was going on. And so you had this sort of large community of investors who wanted to, you know, accelerate the momentum of the stock by gathering a lot of investors, um, retail investors, such as, you know, you know, individuals to purchase the stock, right? And bet against these hedge, hedge firms. So it almost is a story a little bit more about the David versus the Goliath, right? The institutions versus the retailers. And so there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of emotions, a lot of frenzy as far as, you know, the, you know, like suits versus or investment bankers versus the average individual investor, right? And so the Reddit community is using this as an opportunity and just the broader community is using this as an opportunity to sort of, you know, unleash the power of many to go against these hedge funds. So, you know, I wish this were just about gaming in itself, but this is this has had a massive spread effect to a lot of other companies uh, that these hedge funds are, are betting against. Absolutely. Yeah. Now people are throwing in all these other mentioned AMC at the top. People have also thrown around Nokia. They've thrown around BlackBerry, you know, companies that uh, just don't have a lot of actual value in them, which is why a bunch of hedge funds took short positions. And now everyone's trying to figure out uh, the next rocket ship, as as Wall Street Bet likes to put it. My timeline has been filled with this kind of stuff uh, for <laughs> for two <laughs> days now. And now things are going absolutely nuts as uh, places like Robinhood freeze trading. And we're kind of stuck in a limbo, it feels like. And again, this might all change by the time the podcast is published tomorrow. Uh, but trading is still been prevented on Robinhood and a variety of other options as well. Where do we go from here, Victor? Like, what What's the next step, in your opinion, uh, as a prediction for just sort of how we emerge from this? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, the Fed and the SECs are, are taking very close look into what's going on and is there any sort of fraud or is there any sort of pumping of stocks going on? And so they're clearly taking a close eye and a close lens on it. But based, you know, as of today, they haven't really found any reason to uh, to have to regulate on, on something here because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Look, with all of these, you know, trading firms such as the TD Ameritrades and even, you know, every other trading platform, um, like to your point, Robinhood or whatnot, they've all limited and minimized it. And so that's that's actually even added more fuel to the fire and the frustrations of retail investors that, you know, you're not allowing us as an individual investor to be even be able to buy or even get out of our positions, Right. But when it comes to an institution, you know, would you have done that? Right. So there's just constant sort of battle and struggle between again, a very uh, prolific David and Goliath story here in which, you know, the the Davids and the, the the retail investors are really angry, right? And so I think maybe there needs to be um, something that needs to be done from that, from, from that perspective to give everybody the opportunity. Um, it's a free market, right? But why are we limiting the trades of the retailer? So I'm not advocating for one side or the other, but there clearly needs to be a fair market here, right? But at the end of the day, like clearly a lot of this, you know, momentum in GameStop has absolutely nothing to do with the fundamentals uh, and anybody even looking at GameStop in itself. They're using this as an opportunity to whether it be, you know, a get rich quick or, or whatever it might be. So I think that's where we have to kind of take a closer lens on how do we regulate against activities such as that, where it has nothing to do with the fundamentals of the company. 
Right. It's, uh, you know, it's easy to, to jump on the hedge funds, but ultimately the hedge funds were probably right to take a short position on GameStop. Now, they still were uh, in a place where they were kind of strong arming a company that maybe could have pivoted. And they're like, nope, your, your current business model is your only business model and we're going to drive you right into the ground. Uh, and that's why the short positions have been so so damaging to to a lot of companies. Uh, but you mentioned the sort of gaming's opinion on GameStop. And it was funny. I was watching CNBC. I just sort of had it on the background the last few days. And the, they had a guest on who was trying to use the efficient market hypothesis by saying gamers are nostalgic for an old company uh, in pre-COVID times. And I'm like, most gamers hate GameStop. <laughs> they can't stand it. Like the GameStop meme is like, oh, bring it a PS5. Here's fifteen dollars in the <laughs> like a like a bag of chips or something. Like it's there's uh, they do not like GameStop. It's purely a money play, not out of love for the company. Uh, so you know, with that being part of the the calculus here, where how does this eventually finalize? Like we have things that are. Clearly, things are stuck in limbo. The the stocks are cratering, but the Wall Street bets community is still huge. They haven't people haven't been able to buy, so the the cratering stocks aren't really entirely uh, indicating of this is hey falling back down to where it belonged. Uh, how do you see this playing out over the next you know days, and then maybe even into next week? God, I don't know. I, honestly, I wish I had a crystal ball with that because if I did, I could probably make some plays myself on that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that it's you mentioned the SEC and the Fed, and I think most people expected that to be where uh, where the freeze came from, right? They were going to step in and stop it. Instead, it was a handful of these private companies themselves. As last I saw my Vanguard account, I was still good to go. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm not sure, but uh, it's odd that it's sort of these different places. And then at, as we mentioned at the top, you have one complete side of the political spectrum, Ted Cruz, and the other complete mm. side of the political spectrum, AOC, uh, both critiquing Robin Hood and agreeing on something, which never happens. Uh, is that indicative of the entire political sphere will be critical of this? Or do you think that's kind of like, actually, the, the two people who are on the furthest sides somehow align here and quite a bit of the... Uh, the the other politicians will still be aligned with Wall Street. You know, is that something we should be looking at? Because I just didn't expect the freeze to come from the companies, sometimes private companies, like like in Robin Hood's case, uh, where it's like this is that's who's orchestrating a freeze, not the government. How does that impact what we're seeing right now? Yeah, I, I mean, it's all, all good questions. I mean, it, this has gotten into the political atmosphere as well, right? Um, but you're right. I mean, it's interesting that even these companies have, have already self-imposed uh, these restrictions um, technically to protect the, the retail investors, right? They're, they're, they're trying to uh, protect what, um, you know, what retail investors are, are trying to do with this sort of this money play here. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know what the, the future entails. I wish I, I wish, like I said, I wish I had a crystal ball as, as far as how this is going to, to pan out. But I think there, this clearly has shed a lot of light onto the, you know, you look at the, the efficiency or the supposed efficiencies in the market. Um, and does this challenge, you know, the efficiencies of the market and does this challenge, you know, fundamental investing, uh, that what the market was intended and meant to be was based on the fundamentals, not necessarily based on, okay, well, how do we, how do we short squeeze a, a hedge fund 
um, and, and propel a stock, right? So I think there certainly needs to be a, um, some sort of lens or eyes from a regulatory standpoint. How do we prevent these situations from happening? Because that's not what the market, that's not the intent of a free market, right? It, it's not supposed to be based on that. Absolutely. And I think on the on the flip side, those regulations, if they are going to happen to the uh, individual investors, need to happen to to hedge funds as well and maybe put some more uh, caps on how big of a short position they can take. Because if this is something that's possible, uh, we, you know, they, it, there's, there's ways to regulate this on both sides uh, to stop happening. And it's kind of the, the hedge funds unchecked nature that allowed people to to distort a stock so so highly uh by by just banding together and, and doing it so very odd situation like you mentioned we cannot figure we have no idea where this is going to go we're this is going to be outdated by tomorrow of course just based on where this was yesterday and where it is today um and honestly all the all the stock of all the talk of gamestop is, is so funny because of how gamers hate the company uh so let's talk about some games that gamers do not hate and some companies that gamers do not hate and actually love and are uh, seeing pretty massive valuations uh, as they increase. You like that uh, You like that transition right there? That was that was how I decided to do it. I was like, we somehow have to get from GameStop into talking about Roblox. How are we going to do it? Uh, <laughs> so Roblox, you mentioned at the top, recently raised a Series H round, bringing in an additional $520 million in capital with a share price of $45 and a valuation of $29.5 billion. This is all in Victor's article, which I will link underneath this podcast. It's a great read. We'll talk about some of it, but there's still more data in there uh, that you can that you can see as well. Uh, for people unfamiliar, Roblox is incredibly popular with a younger demographic. And this year, they've been talking about an IPO. And that was originally... Uh, they announced they were going to do it in November and December. They're like, actually, we're going to delay it. You talk about sort of their decision to delay that IPO and instead raise the Series H round, uh, which came with a much higher valuation. Uh, you you make the argument that, hey, this was a really good call to delay. Can you take us through hey, why would a company would make that decision? We're going to delay the IPO and what Roblox gained by doing so? Yeah, so I mean, this was a, a pretty interesting and, and strategic play by by the CEO of Roblox. But you know, they originally anticipated a traditional IPO um, for November, um, and then they delayed it then to December. Uh, but the second delay, um, I'm sorry, in December they decided to delay, and a lot of that had to do with what they saw happening with Airbnb and DoorDash. Those were two you know, highly successful IPOs, uh, both of them pretty much doubled on, on day one. And so it kind of made Roblox think, okay, are we leaving something on the table here, right? Because the original intent when they wanted to IPO was was an average valuation of, of 8 billion. That's kind of what they were targeting, right? Um, and so after seeing what happened with DoorDash and Airbnb, you know, they felt like, okay, is there an appetite here for investors to actually value Roblox in a much different lens? And so that was the you know, the option that they decided to take. And so uh, there, there was a company, there was supposedly a company-wide memo that explained to the Roblox uh, employees as far as why decide, they decided to take it off and revisit this strategy. And so from December um, leading up to about January, to your point, they, they actually were able to gather another uh, round of investments um, through a Series H round 
that value them at 29.5 billion. So, you know, you literally go from an 8 billion valuation to a 29.5 billion, which is quite remarkable, right? And, and when you put that into perspective, you look at Epic Gaming, right? Um, and you look at their recent valuation when Sony, uh, I think they dropped about a 250 million um, investment that valued them roughly about 17.8 billion, somewhere around that ballpark. Uh, but, you know, you take that into perspective, right? You got a very successful franchise such as Fortnite that has the Unreal Engine. They've got a, a, a great ecosystem here uh, and they're at 17 and a half. And yet there's investors here that are valuing Roblox now at close to 30 billion, right? So it's pretty impressive. And I have to imagine now, you know, Epic Gaming's valuation is probably significantly increased. And so now, you know, it, you know, when you look at that as a comparison, it's like, okay, well, wow, these are two very successful franchises, but with a much different um, strategy, right? Roblox is clearly a platform gaming strategy versus um, Epic is a lot more of building an ecosystem around gaming and even outside of just gaming. Right. It, the the comparison to, to Epic Games is so interesting because I think people would assume it's a more valuable company than Roblox. You mentioned the two different ecosystems. Uh, and, you know, this is being said with the caveat that you're right. The Roblox's new valuation may uh, have this sort of be a leapfrog situation with Epic Games where they can take that and go to somebody else and be like, actually, we thought it was 17 billion. Uh, now we now it might be 35 or whatever it like it, it sounds absurd but based on what Roblox did this year it's clearly has a, a model that 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 could exist uh, so why does Roblox have so much value when you compare it to epic games that has uh, that owns Rocket League they have Fortnite they're bringing in all these different major brands into Fortnite they have the epic game store I mean they felt cocky enough that they got into a lawsuit with Apple after all Uh <laughs> What is Roblox, What where's the intrinsic value from the company coming from? Yeah, well, what's impressive about Roblox was the abilities to build a platform that targeted a market that probably wasn't as heavily um, looked upon, right? When you think about Fortnite, it's a little bit more on the teenager spectrum and maybe above. But when you look at the Roblox platform, it the average or the the their sweet spot is really the nine-year-old to 13-year-old demographic, right? Uh, and so there weren't a whole lot of platforms that were developed. I mean, you can argue maybe Nintendo Switch or even the Wii being a platform, but I think Roblox was able to sort of expand upon this from a mobile gaming, but also, you know, you can play Roblox and PC. So there's a lot of different platforms that you could play it on that's more widely, that could be more widely distributed towards kids, right? Versus a Nintendo Switch, you've got to convince your parents to spend, you know, an average of three to four hundred dollars on a on a system or a console. So I think that that's number one. And then it's I think the reason behind the valuation here as well is when Roblox um, did I or filed for an IPO, they did have to of course release information in their S one, and it was quite intriguing information that they released as far as their their daily active users and just the hours of engagement uh, due to the pandemic their hours of engagement pretty much doubled from roughly about four and a half or four billion to almost close to nine billion hours, right? It's crazy when you think about that number. It's comedy. Nine, yeah, it's not like nine billion. I mean, you know, to put that into perspective, right? You look at Twitch. Twitch obviously is a very big streaming platform and their average, um, you know, uh, hours of streaming 
doubled during the pandemic as well, but it went from roughly about two and a half to, you know, a little over 5 billion hours, right? So you look at Roblox and you're like, shoot, this is just one platform, one game. Well, maybe not one game, but one platform, right? And, and they're able to attract 9 billion hours versus something as widespread as Twitch is, is, is trailing in about 5 billion in, in streaming hours, right? So crazy to think about that. Uh, but then you also look at the daily average users of kids that are playing. It's like somewhere close to like 35 million daily average users. And so you look at that potential of the amount of kids that are playing this, the amount of hours. I think if you do the math, it's roughly each kid playing it for roughly about two and a half hours per day. Right. And that's a lot of time. Right. And, and the question becomes now is, OK, well, is that going to even continue, number one, post pandemic? I think that's where the speculation comes into play. But even if it doesn't, look at how many kids that you've gotten onto this platform that are only going to continue being on that platform for at least several more years. And the amount of monetization that they've incurred based on their virtual currency Robux. I mean, when you put all of that into play, like that's where the valuation comes into place. Right. They've actually been able to monetize this amount of frenzy that these kids are going on this platform and buying, you know, using these Robux to not even enhance the game per se, it's really more for skins, right? Or, or how do they enhance their avatar, which is, which is mind blowing, right? When you think about all that. The skins uh, whole, whole industry is the, the most remarkable thing that, and I don't blame game developers for years for not understanding this, for being like, oh, people are going to want to play to play the game and they're going to want to pay to, uh, improve their skills or get get a noticeable impact. It turns out people are more willing to just pay for cosmetic improvements on free games and uh, and things that don't impact gameplay whatsoever. It's a I that hypothesis. If you asked me to have one, I would not have had it. Neither did most of the gaming industry until really Riot Games uh, was one of the first to do that, and then now Fortnite, Roblox, and and all the others. Uh, have done this. You mentioned the comparison to Twitch, and I had one one thought on that as well. And what's really remarkable about that those hours of engagement is that Twitch is often a more passive form of entertainment. It's something you do on a second screen. It's something that uh, maybe you're playing a game. Like I know I've I've got Twitch open while I'm playing Hearthstone quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, and so you get these hours watch numbers that are pretty high. But Roblox is an active engagement of 9 billion hours where that's right. what you're doing. That's what you're plugged into. And that's really, truly uh, an incredible achievement just in terms of people on. And so then I guess now in, in just a cautious of time, we have to talk about the pandemic and the impacts of that. Uh, you know, it's no it's not a coincidence that these valuations are going absolutely nuts while everyone's stuck at home. Uh, and we've also seen some other companies have really big rises in value during the pandemic, uh, especially as they develop more use functions inside and outside of gaming. And Discord uh, is a huge one here. They have between two funding rounds in June and December, the company's valuation doubled from $3.5 to $7 billion. And now it's being uh, put into the Wall Street bets thing. I mean, Elon Musk tweeted about Discord ye or yesterday. Uh, about how it's like the new Wall Street trading forum or something like that. And I think they took down Wall Street bets at the same time. So they might have lost a lot of that goodwill. But uh, it's odd times, to, to say the least. In this pandemic, how much of these valuations are reflecting their unique use cases during the pandemic? And how much are reflecting what could actually be a lot of long-term value? 
Yeah, I, th I think that's a really good question, right? Because these valuations are getting a little out of control, right? Or it's it's hard to perceive, you know, how they could be, you know, 100x times whatever their, their earnings are. And it's, it's right. crazy <laughs> to think about it from that lens. But I think what's exciting, what's, what's, what's most exciting about this whole video gaming sector is the ecosystem that it's been able to build just more broadly than just video gaming. And Discord kind of falls into, into that as well. Um, Discord, you know, the original intent, of course, was to be able to use um, as a form of either streaming with friends as far as playing a game or even a chat session as you're playing a game, right? But it's interesting to see the, the spread effect of what Discord could be even further beyond video gaming, right? Um, you know, it could technically even be used from a, you know, a remote, a remote work platform where you can actually log into Discord from a work standpoint and use that from a work standpoint to be able to, you know, work on a project, chat with your employees, to have that video streaming. So I think a lot of these valuations, while they they may seem uh, overinflated, I think what the investors are probably more anticipated or maybe where the enthusiasm is, is where does this go beyond just video gaming, right? Because historically video gaming was really just us being in front of a TV, you know, with a controller um, and playing a game. But you think about how much that's evolved since the you know late 70s, early 80s, to where we're at now, it's become so much more than that. And you look at Roblox, right? Who would have ever thought there would be a Lil Nas X concert, you know, on Roblox, <laughs> right? And same thing with same thing with Fortnite, right? Like Travis Scott, Marshmallow. You look at the numbers of people that were on during that time, you could never fit that amount of people in like a Madison Square Garden or whatever it may be, right? So like it it's opened up the the potential for something more than just a video game. And I think that's the that's the part that's really hard for folks to get their arms wrapped around. Because when you think about video games and you look at it from a generational standpoint, we're always thinking about what video games used to be. But I think what we're not realizing is the, the potential of what this new generation brings with video gaming and how it's more than just playing a game. It's so much more than just that. Absolutely. And both both Roblox and Fortnite are really at the forefront of, hey, our games are going to be hubs of culture. And esports organizations are reflecting that as well, bringing in a bunch of celebrities, uh, people who play these games that come from the mainstream celebrity world. And video games uh, are becoming one section of culture, but they're also becoming a home for music, uh, for for movies, for film, for for just all these other industries, for athletes, uh, for sports events. And there's uh, quite a few that all are just intersecting around uh, gaming and video games, especially Fortnite and uh, and Roblox is two of them. You mentioned sort of the, the expansion outside of gaming and where these gaming platforms can be used there. And I find it really interesting. One comparison... Uh, I think is interesting is Discord and Slack. Because as I use Discord, I see a lot of the features of Slack just kind mm -hmm. of naturally built in to Discord. And Slack is a massive publicly traded company. Market cap, I believe, uh, I don't have it in front of me. Let me pull it up. $24.4 billion uh, as a market cap. And there's Discord does almost everything I can think of that Slack does in having individual channels, direct messages, into like the, it's not a hard leap for discord to become slack and i know quite a few gaming companies that 
don't use Slack. They use Discord instead. Uh, and I think that kind of highlights too is just the value that gaming companies right now that were made for games could have a lot more applications outside of just being a voice comms chat in Call of Duty. Like this yeah. could be where workplaces move towards in the in the future. Well, and you look at how Disney operated and franchised the Star Wars franchise, you know, the Marvel comics. Um, and so the same thing is kind of happening within video gaming as well. It's it's how do you how do you commercialize it more than just a video game itself, right? And I think once these video and they're already starting to crack the nut on this and they're already seeing the future of this, but you know, it goes beyond of course just the video game just like how, you know, DC Comics and Marvel is more than just a comic book. It turned it into a franchise of television, movie, then it went to consumer products. You know, it, it just, the, it grew into something much bigger, right? And so you look at how, how well Disney has done in being able to commercialize and franchise a particular product. I think there's that same opportunity, uh, but it could be even broader with video gaming, right? So you clearly have a television play, a media play, you've got a movie play, you know, there's a lot, you know, look at Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie that came out pre-pandemic, you know, pre right? <laughs> so there's, I mean, there's clearly a need or an appetite for people wanting to watch, you know, this type of stuff. And I think Castlevania just came out with um, uh, a television series as well. So there's obviously a TV play. There's obviously a movie play, but there's a music play here now, right? There's a virtual concert play. Um, there could be a consumer products play as you, you know, as you build character within, for example, Fortnite or whatever it may be. So I think there's just so much more opportunities uh, beyond just a video game. And I think that's why you see these valuations. Absolutely. I think people are recognizing just sort of how the wide ranging scopes of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the Halo live action movie. I don't think anybody's done that story justice yet. Right? There's <laughs> the, the worlds that people have built through gaming have such far reaching potential applications if they're uh, used correctly and then you could already build all these different things i think terminator is currently in fortnite like i can't even keep up with all the different movie things it's become just hey we have a movie coming out that's kind of actiony kind of targeted teenagers well we better get our character into fortnite like that's just become a a this has to happen as part yeah. of the release of this movie at this point and so it's uh, it's crazy how that went from thanos appearing in fortnite in 2018 to okay, this is just part of a blockbuster movie marketing strategy in two, two and a half years. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, if you can get Tomb Raider as a live action and have Angelina Jolie star in that, I'm sure we can figure out a way to do that with Halo. <laughs> but yeah, Fair enough. Like, there's so many opportunities uh, with that. And, and Epic Games, you know, they also partnered with Disney with Marvel, right? They created the Marvel right. world in the Fortnite platform. So a lot, a lot of collaboration uh, between the movie, television industry, uh, and the gaming industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's only going to keep growing. Like, I, I don't think, and maybe that's, uh, so you mentioned in your article, and I, again, you guys should read this article, uh, and I won't go over all the numbers, so you have to go actually open the article up to read it. Uh, but it's a comparison chart that I found really interesting that is between uh, the global video games market, a uh, gaming ETF, and the S&P 500. And it really just shows how uh, gaming companies have completely overperformed index as uh, numbers just gone absolutely ballistic. Uh, is that going to, is this a lot of, uh, a lot of the conversations we've had on this podcast during the pandemic is like, how much of this is, okay, this opened up a chance for us to view gaming. Have investors 
really learned about gaming in this pandemic in a way that they never really were forced to in the past, just due to how big this has grown and the lack of other industries to look at? Like, is that going to be a long-term implication that people now understand, a lot more people understand video games than did uh, a year ago at this time? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I wish I had a crystal ball on that one, though. But I, what I can say, though, is, you know, the pandemic has put in gaming has put gaming into a much different lens and a different sort of platform in itself. And I don't know if I can actually say investors have completely figured it out and completely on board with all the valuation. Um, but clearly, in the short run, it, it's done well just because it's brought upon so many new gamers. I think I remember reading a, a stat from that Facebook came out with um, on one of their gaming publications that the pandemic brought out 28 million new gamers just here in the US. And you think about that impact of what it's done globally, right? Um, and so I think the reality of it is, is so long as you can maintain that level of engagement, even post pandemic, I think that will then convert itself into, you know, the economic success and therefore the investors will continue valuing it the way that they value it. So I think the biggest wild card and the biggest question that comes out of all of this is post pandemic, is this going to continue? Is this level of engagement uh, going to continue? But what we can say about this pandemic is it certainly has introduced a lot more new gamers that have never been involved with gaming. Uh, in the past, um, you know, than what, where we're at right now. So, I mean, there's clearly some some good, you know, headway and, and trajectories into this being, you know, game the gaming ecosystem being much bigger than where it's at right now. There's a ton of normalization of it uh, that's happened during this time, and it's. Uh, become too big to ignore uh, for a lot of people, I think, as well, people who are focused on other sectors. So, yeah, the crystal ball would be great. I think we all wish we had one, uh, especially in these current times as we look at no idea what's going to happen even in two hours in the markets um, where this goes from here. So be on the lookout for that. I hope our uh, podcast isn't completely outdated by tomorrow. If something crazy has happened, we're wrapping up recording at uh, about 2.30 p.m., on Thursday. So if something broke crazy and we didn't mention it, don't, don't get on us. You know, it's not, it's not on us. So Victor, thank you for joining the show. It was great talking to you as always. What do you want people looking out for following, watching out for? You just had the Roblox article. What's coming next? Yeah, I think what I, I think the ripple effects that we're going to get from Roblox is it, it actually is probably going to be even further beyond just gaming in itself because Roblox is going to do a direct listing. Not too many companies have actually gone through a direct listing before. So I think what what to look out for is the ripple effects that gaming can have, not only just within the gaming community, but just within the overall technology sector. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on other tech companies that are going to see this direct listing uh, and see the success of it, and they may follow suit. So definitely a huge ripple effect, even just further beyond just the gaming sector. Definitely. It really takes one domino to fall with terms of valuation, and then suddenly everything else goes. There's a famous case in the NBA, actually, when the Clippers were forced to be sold in the middle of the uh, season after a bad scandal, completely unrelated, but it, they got sold for $2 billion. And that was uh, about $1.5 billion more than any other team had been sold besides the Raptors who were sold in addition to an arena, which doesn't count. Uh, and so it's a, a pretty crazy valuation. The second that sale happened, it created that ripple effect for everybody else. And so that might be something that we see 
with Roblox here too. When the valuation goes up so high, Epic Games could take it and be like, well, we we offer just as just an interest platform, maybe even more. We're worth this much amount too. So going to be really interesting to see. Read his article on Roblox. I'll link it below this show. Victor, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for having me, Mitch.